It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Oh, hello. Come off mute, John. Good idea to start the show that way. And you guys can take yourselves off mute as well um, if you haven't done so already. Anyway, listen, we are here for a short, sharp episode analysis on uh, we're going to do seven random players today. Vanch and Shrihui have no idea what players I have up my sleeve. Well, right now I'm not wearing any sleeves, uh, although you might be surprised by that, given how I'm in deepest, darkest Germany in deepest, darkest winter. And you are right. I am wearing a Spain shirt ahead of uh, the match between Spain and Germany. We'll see if I can survive uh, the German nightlife despite wearing this shirt. But I've gone off topic somewhat. Back to the topic itself. I'm going to throw some players at you, Shrihui and Vanch. And I just want you to give me a year, sorry, a minute on whether you think they've had a good or bad year. You can frame it however you want. Uh, my general idea is, did they meet expectations, exceed, underperform, let's say, compared to what you thought they would do a year ago? I will give you one minute each on each player. So I will say Boris Becker and Shrihiri go, oh, I thought he retired. And uh, But then nevertheless, he'll give me a minute on whether he thinks he had a good year or not. And I suspect most people would suspect that, that Becker probably didn't have the best of years, at least off the court. Uh, and then I'll go to Vanch on the same player for one minute and uh, we'll see how it goes. Are you ready, guys? Yep. All let's right. do it. Okay, let's do it. I will, if, if I have a big thing to say, I will add something. But if I think you two have cleared up and mentioned everything and I agree with everything, then I will say nothing or, or just move on to the next player. Anyway, the first player we're going to be discussing today, and I'll give it to you, Shrihiri, first. Has Emma Raducanu had a good year or a bad year? Shrihiri, go. Well, I have to say bad year, um, especially considering the season she had in 2021 of course uh, she made her grand slam debut at wimbledon made the fourth round unfortunately had to retire and you know went on to win the us open 
Uh, and yeah, as you mentioned, she went from 19 all the way to 75. And I, if I'm not wrong, she retired from quite a few matches. So maybe uh, the, the slightly upside would be that uh, it's mainly been a fitness issue uh, or just been niggled with injuries this whole season. But even otherwise, and she did play uh, some decent tennis in the clay season, if I remember correctly. Uh, and it was Madrid and there was another tournament where she played Tech pretty close. Um, escapes my memory. But yeah, other than that, just, you know, bad year all around. But then, um, I, well, I'm, I'm personally not really surprised because uh, she gave an interview uh, at the beginning of the Miami Open. She said, for me, the goal this season is just to survive. Um and uh, you know, survive uh, uh, an, an entire year on the tour. It doesn't matter if I even even if I lose uh, in the first round of every tournament. I don't care what her words. And she did, I think, crack the top ten this year at some point. But then, you know, other than that, yeah, it's just it's nothing really memorable about the season for her. So I think Great. she. Back I think we are, uh, we've got to stop there, Shahui. I'll go over yep. to you, Vanch. Give me a minute. Good year, bad year, Emma Raducanu. <coughs> yeah, I think I have to agree. It, uh, I, I can't say it was a good year at all. I, I had leaned towards bad. Uh, could uh, kind of, I kind of expected her to finish outside the top fifty. She's at seventy-five right now, which I think is accurate. Um, she had some few good moments here and there, like the matches against Azarenka and Serena Williams, even though they were kind of shells of what they were uh, previously. And yeah. then she made a good run at the end of the year in Seoul, I believe reached the semifinals uh, and was up a set uh, on Ostapenko, but then had to retire. So maybe that was a potential opportunity for another title or another final. But um, yeah, I think overall there weren't many memorable moments and just too many injury niggles and a lot of coaching changes and uh, kind of have to start from scratch, which is probably a, probably a good thing for her to wor work her way ba back up again and kind of reinvent herself after her U.S. Open title last year, which came out of the blue. Cool. I think I would agree with all of what you've said, uh, with probably a slight asterisk in that I think maybe these were the expectations I had. I would probably add that I think if she'd had a better run at the US Open, I think that could have transformed her year. If she'd made the second week, she had a super tough opening match. Who was it she lost to in the first round? Cornet. Cornet, oh, exactly. And I think if she'd got past that, then, you know, she probably would have made the second week. I think I looked at the draw and I thought it might open up for her. Anyway, uh, Emma Raducanu, uh, Tick, uh, we've done her now. Let's move on to our next player. And I'll have you go first, Vanch. And this player, good year, bad year, Denis Shapovalov. Um, I, I think mediocre, but leaning bad. Um, just because I think last year he finished the year number 14 and this year he's 18. And he had a good stint, like post US Open, and I say from Cincinnati onwards. But before that, between after the Nadal loss in at Australia, and since the Rome, since beating after beating Nadal in Rome, he's been quite. He was quite disappointing for for like a long time, and he had no notable, like he had like last year he made a Wimbledon semi. This year his best result in a major was uh, Australian Open quarters. So not really like in the big tournaments. I don't feel like he played his, uh, apart from the Rome quarterfinal and the Australian Open quarterfinal, he didn't really have any other big moments. Um, I think uh, I think it's a positive for him is that he did well in the team events, winning ATP Cup, Davis Cup, uh, and also like he made a 500 final, um, which is a first for him, and uh, you know added another final but didn't win a title. 
So I think uh, not much improvement. So I have to say, uh, and from that standpoint, you would expect, uh, I think since 2017, I would have expected a little bit more from him personally, given his talent level. Uh, so right. I, would, I would say, yeah. Boom. Shrihiri. Good year, bad year. Chapeau. Uh, could I uh, lean somewhere in between or should I you just can. say? You can. <laughs> we, we, we've, we're open for diplomacy today. Okay. So I would, yeah, I would say mediocre. I and mean, that's the first word that one choose. Uh, as much as it pains me to say as a fan, he has stagnated over the last few years and he's pr- pretty much solidified his spot between, say, uh, 15 to 20 in the world. He just does well enough in a few tournaments and gets some big wins uh, that keeps him there in the ranking when most, I mean, and it's usually a 50-50 is win-loss is barely above 50%, you know, for a his entire career and uh, in every season. But this year, I would say he's had a lot of impressive wins that, uh, you know, come to mind. He beat Borna Choric twice, who did win Cincinnati. He beat Nadal in Rome. Granted, he should have beaten Nadal at the Australian Open. He was greatly struggling, but, you know, he, that didn't happen. He played Medvedev really well at Vienna. He beat Taylor Fritz as well uh, in Basel. So a lot of uh, good wins that come to mind. Um, you know, as far as Chapeau is concerned for this season. But then again, he just, uh, he, as usual, he had those, he he had this slump that lasted for, you know, just too long that kept him out of contention for a top 10 spot. And yeah, last year, I would say it was definitely better because just because he made the semifinal at Wimbledon. And yeah, of course, he beat Alexander Zverev at the Australian Open, which is also a really impressive win. But Yeah, yeah, other than that, yeah, it's quite disappointing, I would say, for his caliber and what he's shown in the past. I think a lot of people, including me, had forgotten about that Zverev win because I think we all remember how it ended in Australia. And and I'll just add another thing. I think there was some optimism, shoots for optimism in the loss to Rublev. Uh, I think I saw some good things there. Um, and he's had a few moments, but I would agree. I'd probably err slightly more to bad just because of, I think the defeat to Nadal was quite limp in that fifth set when things were kind of should have been going for him and Nadal was there for the taking. Anyway, we don't have time to dwell. Let's move on to our next player. Let's begin with you, Shrihiri, a player you may well know quite well, Garbina Muguruza. Good year, bad year. Yeah, I saw the preview on the tab and I was like, yeah, this is not going to end well. Yeah. yeah. We did a show on this and yeah, I mean, it's no mincing words. It's just a nightmare season. Terrible. The only upside is that it can only get better from here in 2023 for her. Nothing memorable whatsoever. I mean, there's only one match I can pick out that she played against Kiveto at the US Open. Uh, again, she played a close match and was outclutched. But other than that, just nothing uh, worth noting, you know, in her entire season. Just, yeah, completely flat. And that's a huge slump in the ranking. It's not even like she, uh, you know, took half of the season or more off. She played pretty much the whole season. I think she played all four slams. So that's a pretty bad slump. Terrible season. Agreed. Um, I wouldn't add anything else. So, Vanch, what have you got to say on, on Muguruza's year? Yeah, not much to add. Uh, pretty bad all round, I would say. Uh, yeah, pretty big slump after winning the WTA finals and finishing last year number three. Uh, I think, yeah, that, that match with Kovidaba might be one of those sliding door matches, may, potentially, if she gets through that match. Um, she's never done supremely well at the US Open. She would have had to play Jessica Pagula in the fourth round. So... But uh, that's like maybe the only match that I can remember of hers that I, I remember thinking, okay, that was a good level, even though she lost. But there was nothing really. I, th- I Yeah, I think there was, it was a pretty bad year. Yeah. I would just say that um, Muguruza can beat any player in the world 
on any given day or on her day, but she didn't have her day that often in 2022. Next player on our list is Paula Badosa. Go Vanch. Good year, bad year. <clears throat> uh, so it started out good, um, but then it it, it turned bad. Uh, I would I would have to say I, I think I'd lean towards bad. Um, she had some moments in the beginning of the year. Uh, she won a title a five, at 500 level, made a consistent bunch of quarterfinals. And then I think since since the end of the clay season, she's had some fitness issues, some a, a lot of retirements and matches, and um, maybe the only good results that I can remember at the end or like in, towards the middle part was at Wimbledon. She made the fourth round, knocked out Petra Kvitova uh, in round three. And then I think just got absolutely demolished by Halep in the fourth round. Mm. So like, there's not that much. Uh, like U.S. <laughs> Open, she lost early. I think second round. And Roland Garros was disappointing from her. I expected her to go a lot deeper, uh, and then had to retire mid-match against Kurovatova. Uh, so not not too many uh, memorable moments, especially in the last half of the year. And her ranking did dip, and she didn't qualify for the World Tour finals, which mm -hmm. which easily could have been the goal for her. Um, especially, and I don't think she reached the heights in level as well from her Indian Wells win um, in October. So, yeah, and I, I'd say bad. Cool. Shrihiri, thoughts? Yeah, I'll have to say it was a bad season as well because, you know, to keep in mind that she did reach number two this, this season at some point. I think somewhere, sometime after Indian Wells or maybe before that, if I'm not wrong, because she did drop a lot of points at Indian Wells. But I do know that she got to number two. And it's been just she just hurtled down from there and she set a pretty high standard last year, something for her to build on, you would think. But just I, I don't think she backed any of those results up at all. Um did she lose in the semi-final of Indian Wells? Like once yeah, back? That was, that was that was a good was run. Sakari, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean she played well. I remember she left the court crying, which was I mean, tough loss, right? She was defending yeah. champion, play an excellent, I mean, one of the most memorable matches. I would say this decade against Azarenka in the final last year and her RG run as well, uh, you know, to the quarterfinal, losing out so narrowly to Zidancek, 8-6 in the third. And I think she also made the second week, uh, maybe at Wimbledon last year. Yeah. Uh, she did. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it, it, she's just been <laughs> lackluster throughout at the slams this year. Just that one title. Um, and yeah, bad year, I would say. Cool. All right. Next player, Shrihiri, for you to begin at least on our list. 2022, good year, bad year, Coco Goff. Good year, <coughs> I should say. Uh, you know, made the final at RG. And that, I mean, that, that I think that result stands out. I I don't follow WTA Tour much, but, uh, you know, she did make, uh, She I think she reached a career high ranking of four this year, was it? Um at some point, yeah. yeah, so clearly that says that she's had a, a lot of good results. Um, I think the kind of shocking loss was uh, at Wimbledon. She lost one in the third round to Nisimova, if I'm not wrong. Um, so, yeah, RG, she, she had a really good run to the final. Uh, a little disappointing at the at the WTA finals, but, I mean, we, we forget how young she is. She's just been around for so long that she still hasn't even peaked, right? She, she made the second week at, at a slam for the first time when she was 15. So she has a lot of time to go. And this is this is definitely a really uh, positive season for her. And I just think uh, it's onwards and upwards for her. I don't see 
her declining in any way next season but it's the wta right you can't it's it's sort of unpredictable at times so but i think she's gonna back it up next year she definitely i can see her winning a slam in 2023 hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh, I'm I'm on mute. I'm on mute. Sorry. At Vanch, go. 2022 Coco Golf. Uh, Yeah, it was a good year. Uh, got to her first slam quarterfinal. I think if you add doubles on top of it, she also reached number one, which is a big deal at 18 years of age. Uh, she also made a U.S. Open quarterfinal, made a lot of quarterfinals and Masters events. So she performed like a top eight player pretty much all season. Um, you know, played so many matches because this was the first year she was allowed to under the WTA age eligibility rules. So because of that, I think she played over 100 matches, which is really hard for anyone, let alone an 18-year-old who's not completely physically developed, oh, wow. right? So um, singles, doubles, and even mix. So... I, I can un- totally understand her last four matches in singles at the end of the year, like just completely being physically complete worn down and forehand at times not looking good at all. I think that's maybe the one shot in her game that's uh, that's like the one thing that's holding her back from winning a major right now. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe 2024 she wins one. I, I think next year if she can get to a couple of semis, you know, and play, you know, do maybe a slightly better, like finish in the top five. That would be a good year for her, but this was a really good job. This was a really good year from 22 to 7. So, yeah. Cool. I think I agree with everything that both of you have said. I think um, that a slam is just around the corner if she can improve that forehand. Listen, next player on our list, and I'm very much looking forward to this one, especially, I think, Vanch, because we've spoken about him before. 2022, Stefanos Tsitsipas. Go, Vanch. Yeah, I think relative to expectations, I have to say mediocre to poor, actually. Because um, I, I think if I had, uh, I, I think if he had had a better tournament at the ATV finals, I would have said differently. Um, mm-hmm. But not coming out of his group there, and then uh, just the disappointing losses at Roland Garros and US Open, the ongoing issues with him and his father, the um, lack of improvement, really the backhand completely holding him back, uh, both as a return of serve, but even as some, even as a rally ball. I think I saw some temperament issues with him as well. He got rattled quite easily in several big moments this year. Yeah, he won a lot of matches. He won the most matches of anyone this year, but he also played so many tournaments and he didn't really win as many, you know, you would expect more than two titles. He won Monte Carlo, but uh, but yeah, like I think the more I think about it as a whole, he's not really progressed since last year. I think last year his level was higher. So yeah, I'm with you guys now. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Sure, here we go. I have to agree with everything Munch said here. I can't disagree with anything. Um, like you said, he didn't move in the rankings. He finished number four last season. He got the number three, I remember, uh, after Wimbledon, just before US Open. Much better level last year, even though his results during the season this year were better. I mean, just before RG, that is. But uh, the performances at Slams, definitely a lot better last year. He had a lot. Um, he had better wins. He showed a much higher level. Um uh, you, you know, and also I think uh, the elbow injury sort of held him back, and that's pretty much why uh, he he had a slump after RG last year. But then 
Uh, other than that, I mean, this season, I would think he was he was mostly fit. He didn't really have any issues physically. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, he stagnated, I would say. His uh, season's inflated just because he played, what, <laughs> uh, 85 matches in the singles store, right? And just winning two titles, I think, is pretty disappointing. Just one on the 250 level and one in Monte Carlo. Um, Monte Carlo was, I would say, decently impressive beating Schwartzman, you know, from that... Uh, you could argue you should have beaten him 6-2, 6-3 or something like that. But sure, you'll give him credit for that. Um, and he's fluctuated so much, it's hard to predict sometimes, you know, which were version of Steph Bushov, even during a match. Like, there was that Paris match against Djokovic. He, it looked like he was going to get routine again, straight sets. But then all of a sudden, we have a match ending in the deciding set tiebreaker. And that's happened just throughout the season itself. Even at the Australian Open, he's struggling against Bias. He goes five sets against Fritz and he puts up a masterclass against Sinner. Plays Medvedev really well for three sets and just, again, dwindles from there. So, he, again, there's a lot of talk about him uh, turning his head to head around against Medvedev. I, I would still wait for that because, you know, it, it's completely different doing it on a hardcore slam. He's not done that in three attempts uh, in the past. So, yeah, I would say for his a definitely mediocre or I would even say uh, quite poor for his standards and just the fact that He's not, uh, you know, there's so many loopholes, visible loopholes that are being exploited in this game repeatedly. So, yeah, I, I am not really impressed with the season, you should say. I would agree yeah, with um, everything. Just one, one just one, if I could, I could add maybe one thing. I think yeah, sure. uh, for Sitsipas fans probably watching this and you know, not, not feeling so good about our comments, I will say that um, it's a credit to him that he won so many matches despite his level fluctuating so much. And getting to, I think, making Masters semifinals regularly also kept him really high in the rankings making five out of eight master semis. So I think that's, that, that's good, even though it's not very convincing. I will say that, uh, and also, you know, he won a title on grass. So I think his grass season, I guess, if you will, which is really short, was was better than last year. But but overall, I think uh, some improvements have to be made, especially with a lot of younger players coming up and beating him with the likes of Alcaraz, Rune, and even, even players like Jack Draper and Brooksby and stuff that he lost to this year. Yeah. And I think for me on Steph's year, and, and hi, Gene, nice to have you on board. Let us know what you think, Gene. Good year, bad year for, for Steph. <clears throat> I think in terms of him and his fans, first of all, I think Steph would I think would probably agree with us given the expectations he would have. And I think that's the key word. We have extremely high expectations for some of the players we've been talking about today, Steph yeah. included. And I think with those high expectations, because we know just how good they are, I would also agree with both of you in that it's somewhere between mediocre and disappointing because we have him in such high standards. If, for example, a current player who's ranked world number 100 or even world number 50 has this kind of year, you know, we'd be going, wow. That's, you know, I would argue that, that Holger Runa and Stefan Ossitsipas, I haven't, I haven't got a pen and paper out, but in terms of where they've been getting in slams, I think they've both picked up one Masters 1000 this year, for example. And I, if you said to me, Holger Runa, good year, bad year, well, been a fantastic year. Yeah. But we have Steph in slightly different stands just because he's a couple of years older and he's that much more established. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Okay, our last player on the list 
for this year, at least for this episode, good year, bad year. And I'll start with you, Shuhui, on a certain player that I think you know quite well. Shuhui, good year, bad year, Daniel Medvedev. Bad year. Uh, I zoom in sing words here. I mean, he last season was just excellent, finishing number two in the world. And I think uh, he had a really excellent win-loss record, 63 and 13. That's, you know, we've seen uh, the likes of, uh, you know, Djokovic, Federer, Nadal at those numbers in some season, even Andy Murray. Um, winning a Grand Slam and, you know, ma- making a few other finals, at you know, three other finals at uh, big, big tournaments. From that, and I think it just started to unravel from that Australian Open final loss. Nothing has really gone well for him, even off the court, but just getting banned from Wimbledon, you know, not having much motivation in the grass season for that. And you could see that in the losses he had to Van Rijthoven and Hurkacz in those finals was uh, in Netherlands and also in Halle. Uh, I, I feel like Vienna was sort of a smokescreen at this point because he, he didn't play badly in uh, the, the Paris uh, loss or even the three losses in Turin. But I think if he had the confidence, he's winning all of these all of those three matches, especially 2021 Medvedev is definitely winning all of this, those three matches, I should say. So, uh, yeah, for him, it's just the confidence. And the, again, like I said, the good thing for him is that if you look at his last four seasons, this season has been closer to 2018 than it has been to 2019, all the way to 21, because he won multiple big titles each of those seasons. A couple of them he made uh, Grand Slam finals last year. Of course, he made multiple. But uh, yeah, I do think he's coming back next year uh, to pretty much where he belongs. Will he win a slam? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, but still, um, you know, you can never really write him off because he, once he picks up that form, he just needs that top 10 win, which he's been lacking since uh, beating Pass at the Australian Open. And ever since he lost to Rafa, that's where pretty much everything's unraveled for him. So he just needs that big win again to get himself going. Um, and yeah, I think that is definitely going to happen in 2023. And of course, this year has just been a one-off for him considering the standard he's set. Cool. Over to you, Vanch. Yeah. Uh, you know, relative to expectations, again, pretty bad year uh, to finish seven in the world is and qualify for Turin. Uh, but but uh, his best result in a big title after the Australian Open was the Cincinnati semifinal. So um, and then, you know, he had uh, he's I think he's over eight against top 10 players since that Tsitsipas uh, win at the Australian Open. So, yeah, uh, yeah, not very, not very encouraging. I think also the hernia surgery really set him back. Uh, just because, like, he had missed two months from that, and I don't think his servers looked right ever since he came back from that hernia operation. Uh, a lot, a lot of double faults in several matches, and in key moments, and just his confidence hasn't been there on his his ground game, especially like attacking with his forehand, um, and also just yeah, just been a little bit mentally fragile at times. Uh, you know, didn't close out these three matches, but I guess it's encouraging that he, you know, despite playing so poorly, he's still served for the match in two of them. And he lost all three in third set tiebreakers. They weren't like just you know easy wins for all three. They they had to work pretty hard. Rublev had to play one of his best matches ever. Um, Sitsipas, uh, as as well. And then yeah, Djokovic. I mean, I mean that's what made his World Tour final so impressive. That three hour eleven minute battle against Medvedev, whom he respects so much. So I definitely am not counting him out at all uh, next year. In fact, quite the contrary. As Shrihari said, this was a total outlier. This was very much. Uh, out of the norm for him. Last three seasons, he's won at least two big titles. 
Um, and, and then, yeah. So, and, and Djokovic, I still think him and Djokovic is one of the most incredible matches to watch. Their rivalry has been fantastic since uh, 2019. It just delivers every time. So, uh, yeah. Cool. I'll just add one more thing to what you've both said, and that is that um, the clock on Daniel Medvedev's year arguably stopped around about 8 p.m. local time in Melbourne on the 31st of January. <clears throat> and I don't think it's quite kicked back into gear since. That's not to say it won't return to that at some point next year. I thought it was very interesting to talk about what Shrihiri mentioned about, you know, 2019 and 2020 and 2021 for one reason or another were all fantastic years for him. But probably this was the sort of, in terms of results, his worst year since 2018, which says something. I think also the fact that it's been quite a long time now, 10 months since that Australian Open final, that perhaps you might say that that's a long time to be out of form. Um, and not a huge amount. I mean, we had the hernia injury, but it's not like other players who've you know had been dogged by injuries at various points this year. He's not been dogged in the same way that someone like <clears throat> maybe Borna Chorich has, for example, or Rafa Nadal or certain other players. So it is a long time. And I think if he was to get to another slam final next year, of course, he is hampered by the fact that it's probably only two of the four slams where you would expect him to get that far. Um, but he does excel on those surfaces. And yes, if he was to reach one or two slam finals next year, then then perhaps we could say he's back. But until that happens... I think we'll have to certainly sort of have a question mark against him. And similar with Steph, it's just because we have him in such high standards. Listen, guys, we're going to conclude now. But if there's anything you'd like to add, either on Medvedev or any of the other players, feel free to do so if you have anything to say. Yeah, I'll take a minute to add something to Medvedev. If you look at his well, year in slams, he pretty much outperformed Tsitsipas uh, in all of the slams. I mean, RG... Steph making the fourth round is definitely not the same as Medvedev making the fourth round. Medvedev played one match in Geneva and he was out for all of those three Masters events because of the hernia operation. And he goes and makes the fourth round. Steph does the same and, uh, you know, and he took even then he took the scenic route, going five sets to Musetti and four sets to that Czech player, Kolar, right? So, and he, and he ended up losing to Holger Rune. So, yeah, and obviously US Open as well. Um you know, making the fourth round, well, Steph just went out, uh, you know, early. So I still think uh, if you look at his base level, it just shows that he still has that base level to still make the second week at slams. Even, you know, in every slam that he, he could play this year, he made the second week or better, uh, which I think is still encouraging. And yeah, I, I st if he's allowed to play Wimbledon, I do think he can definitely get a good result there. Um, you know, we we talked about Wimbledon 2021, how that ended, unfortunately, uh, against Hurkacz. It was just bizarre the way it ended. He was dominating Kubi just before the suspension. And this year, he had some good results, too. He made the final in Halle, made the final in Netherlands, um, you know, had some good wins here and there against some pretty good grass court players. So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, Wimbledon also, like, it, again, depends on his, uh, depends on his form. Uh, if he's playing well, I can definitely see him, see his game translating better to grass than to clay. Clay still, I mean, you could argue that he would still make the fourth round or quarterfinal. I don't see him doing better than, you know, making the semifinal in his career at RG. But yeah, that's what I want to say. Even in such a poor year, he's done pretty well at slams. And I think probably better than most players bar um, Alcaraz, Nadal and Djokovic. Do you think, sorry, Vansh, I will come to you in a second. And in fact, this is directed to you. The comment on the screen here from Gene is something that I have mentioned regarding Medvedev. Um, 
there was a sense during that Australian Open final against Rafa that his, you know, mentally he sort of became a bit confused. I just remember some points just seeing him right in the middle of the court. And I don't think he knew whether to stay at that, go to the net a bit more aggressively uh, or stay on the baseline. And maybe, just maybe, as, as Gene suggests here, maybe are some players figuring him out in terms of his game? Yeah, I, I think I think you have to say so. I mean, especially his his return of his, his return of serve. I think everyone knows the playbook. You have to serve out wide on the deuce side. You have to mix in the serve and volley. Uh, you have to be able to, uh, you know, throw in slices, drop shots. Uh, you know, basically throw him off his rhythm variation because you're not really going to beat him in a cross court backhand to backhand rally. I mean, uh, it's really hard to do that. So you have to kind of hit. You can't really hit through Medvedev because he's a wall. So you have to hit around him. And I think uh, it's. There's, you know, there's certain players who or you have to just come in and just, you know, bombard him with straight up aggression. Like if you're, and huge serving, if you're like a Nick Kyrgios or a Hubert Hercoc, those are the kind of players who who, who generally disrupt Medvedev. Sitsipas, I need to see a little bit more, more, but he did so in those two matches that they played against uh, each other this year. So I think some players are starting to realize that uh, he doesn't have the same kind of wow factor. And unpredictability because I remember when he was coming in 2019, it was really hard to figure him out because sometimes he'd serve in Bali even, or he'd, you know, just he'd hit two first serves and stuff like that. And now he doesn't doesn't really quite have that confidence anymore and that that same level of conviction that he did once did back then. But I think he can, I think he can get there if he beats a top ten player or if he gets a few good wins under his belt. I I, I definitely still won't rule it out. It's because he is very good. So, and the last time he didn't make a, a second week at a hardcourt major was in 2018 at the U.S. Open. So since then, every hardcourt major that he's played, he's at least made the second week, even if he hasn't played his his best tennis. And the other thing, one last thing I'll add is that I don't think he's played a proper full clay court season since 2019. So if you look at 2020, 2021, 2022, he's kind of been robbed of having like a stretch of like clay. So like in you know, in 2021, he had the he tested positive for COVID, so he didn't get to play in Monte Carlo. He didn't get to play in uh, Barcelona, I believe, either. And then, like, he missed all of the clay season this year, apart from Roland Garros. So, um, and then, yeah, grass hasn't been right for him, uh, right for him either. So, I, I hope, as a fan of tennis, that he's allowed to play at Wimbledon next year. And same for all Me the too. Belarusian and Russian players. Me too. And um, there's a whole episode on that, and maybe I'll do one before the end of the year on that particular topic. Listen, I'm sure Shrihari and Vancho, and including myself, we have so much more to say on all seven of the players that we've spoken about today. But if you want to talk to um, any of the guests that I have on today, Vance, Shrihari, or myself, you're free to obviously tweet us your thoughts on the seven players. If you disagree with anything we've said, that would be great to hear from you, or perhaps you just agree. I know it's at, at Vance V2K. Is that right, Vance? Yep. And I've got uh, at Shrihari V12. Is that right? I'm going to put Shrihari it in there. Shrihari uh, Ravi 12. Okay, yeah. Shrihari Ravi 12. So. Ah, Shrihari Ravi, yeah. yes, sorry. I'm yeah. going to put it in the live chat. I'll pop it up on the screen right now. So right there. Yeah. Feel, feel free to tweet us your thoughts on whether you disagree or not. But really, I have to go. The Christmas market is waiting for me where there'll be some nice glue vine plus the World Cup match between Spain and Germany. So I will be enjoying that, I hope. Um, and guys, thanks for stopping by. Yeah, thanks for having me on and I'll catch up with both of you soon. Cool. Take care, Vanch. Yep. yep, thank you, John. Uh, this was really fun, as always. Uh, look forward to doing more. If you enjoyed this video, make sure you hit that like button. Don't forget to subscribe and click that notification bell so you don't miss out on all things tennis.
Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.